Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick from the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club. Today, we're reading some exciting stories from Fur Trappers of the Old West by A.M. Anderson. This book has already been recorded on the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club, and if you'd like to hear the whole thing, that's where you can find it. The Midnight Watch Ashley's men had been on their way less than two weeks when they met with their first serious accident. The leading keelboat hit a snag in the river and sank so quickly that the men on board narrowly escaped with their lives. The loss of the boat was a great blow, as it was loaded with $10,000 worth of trapping supplies. Like true Westerners, however, Ashley and Henry did not let the accident discourage them. They ordered the men to push on. Day after day, week after week, the fur trappers traveled on up the Missouri River. Spring, with its bright flowers and sudden rains, gave way to the blazing heat of the summer months. Every day from sunrise to sunset, the men faced the back-breaking job of fighting their way upstream. Every day it was the same old story of countless delays caused by sandbars and snags. Time and again the polers were unable to pull the boat, and each time the land party was called into action. And always it was the same old story of more accidents and spills. The half-wild horses and stubborn mules bucked and reared, tying the cordel into a hopeless knot of kicking animals and shouting men. Again and again the men swam across the river, hoping to follow an easier path along the opposite bank, but often it was worse. Then they walked the long weary miles as they pulled the boat with the cordel cutting into their shoulders. And day after day, day after day, the trip was the same. They seldom made over twenty miles a day. Most of the time they made less. But mile after mile they struggled on, slipping and falling and rising to slip and fall again. They pushed on ever closer to the land of the beaver. The old experienced trappers did not mind the slow progress of the party. They knew the accidents and delays could not be avoided. The young greenhorns, however, were restless. They did not complain about the hard work. They were used to hard work. But the deadly sameness of the days made them quarrelsome and quick-tempered. More than anything else, they hated the snail-like pace of each day's march. All but one, young Jim Bridger. To Jim, each day was one of high adventure. To him, the trip up the river was not a slow, uninteresting journey. It was wonderful. Everything was different, and it was ever-changing. The old familiar woodland country gave way to the vast rolling plains. Like a great green sea of tall grass, the plains stretched on ahead for endless miles. It was all new country to Jim, but the millions of buffalo which roamed the rich pasture land, and the deer, the elk, the antelope, the wild game birds, the wolves, and the rattlesnakes knew its every secret. And this was the homeland and hunting grounds of the proud, bold Plains Indians. What more could anyone want, Jim often asked himself. Isn't this enough? And for him, it was more than enough. He was always good-natured. No job in camp or on the march was too difficult. He obeyed every order quickly and did his work with a ready smile. That Bridger kid takes to this life like one of us, an old trapper said one night to a group of men gathered around a campfire. Never saw anybody like him. He's the last one to turn in at night. And yet in the morning is always first one up, ready to go. He works like a beaver all day, too, said another trapper. I like him. 
I think he'll be one of the first greenhorns up to Beaver, said Tom. I don't see how he can fail to be, laughed the man. He has enough questions. I'm waiting to see how he acts in an engine fight, spoke up Wolf Andrews. Man ain't worth the salt unless he's a good engine fighter. Give him a chance, defended Tom, and he may become a better Indian fighter than you are. He's already proved to be a better worker. Wolf sneered. Ashley didn't hire me to work. Hired me because I'm the best engine fighter he could get. Ashley and Henry expect every man to do his share of the work, broke in a trapper. Now we're on the plains, you'll have your share like the rest of us. Jim joined the group. He glanced about and walked straight to Wolf Andrews. Andrews, he said, you're to be one of the guards tonight. Oh yeah, who said so? Major Henry, tell him to get another guard. Major Henry's sharp voice brought all the men to their feet. Wolf, he said as he strode forward, you can tell me yourself. Major, I, I just as soon stand guard tonight, said Wolf. We're now we're in engine territory, and I should get my sleep at night. You never can tell what'll happen when the Pawnees and Sioux find out we're here. They've known it for some time, replied Major Henry. That's why for the past week we've posted a double guard. Each man has his turn, and now, tonight, from twelve to two, it's your turn. Well, you can't expect me to stand guard, Major. I expect every man to take his turn. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm an engine fighter. I'm an Indian fighter, too, and I'm also in command of this party, snapped Henry. You have your orders. Report to Bruce Bastian. He's in charge of the guard tonight. Without another word, Henry walked away. <clears throat> Wolf turned to Jim. Who else is on guard? Bill Sublet and myself. You, Wolf's eyes narrowed. You would be one of them. He spat in the fire. Turn in, Wolf, said a trapper, anxious to avoid a quarrel between the Indian fighter and young Jim. I'll turn in when I get ready, Wolf growled. But he left the men and disappeared into the darkness. He was gone from camp for some time. When he returned, he spread a blanket on the ground and went to sleep. Why was he out of camp so long? Tom nodded toward the sleeping Andrews. Jim shrugged his shoulders. Here comes Bastion, said Tom. He's probably looking for you. Bruce, he called. You looking for Jim? Yeah, where is he? He's here with me. Bastion, an experienced trapper with flashing brown eyes and black curly hair, dressed in fringed buckskin, came quickly to the campfire. He sat down beside Jim. I'm in charge of the guard tonight, he said, and I don't want to lose any of the horses or mules on my watch. Now I don't want you and that other greenhorn Bill Sublette to keep your eyes and ears open, you understand? I do, said Jim. Good. It's the first time you've been on guard duty with me, and we're in Indian country. Don't worry about Jim, said Tom. You can count on him, and you can count on Bill Sublette, too. And by the way, little buddies, Jim Bridger and Bill Sublette were real people, and they were two of the, two of the best-known frontiersmen in the West in their day. Well, we can't be too careful. You know, these Plains Indians. Bastion shook his head. They'd rather steal horses than eat. If we can't keep our horses now, we'll certainly lose all of them when we finally reach the crow country. Are the crows better at stealing horses than the Sioux and the Pawnees? asked Jim. Bastion slapped Jim on the shoulder. They're all good at it, but the crows are experts. Most engines just try to steal as many horses as they can, but a crow will spot the horse he wants. No matter if that horse is within two feet of a guard, the crow will get the horse and the guard won't hear a sound. 
He laughed. Tom, you know what the old trappers say about him. Tom grinned. Yeah, it's mostly true. We say look away for a minute and a crow can steal the horse you're riding. They must be good if you old fur trappers admit it, said Jim. Get some sleep, Jim, said Bastion, rising to his feet. I'll call you in plenty of time. At midnight, the four men took over their guard duties. As Jim reported to the guard he was to relieve, the man said, Keep your eyes and ears open, son. Remember, we can make the trip without you, but we need our horses and mules. Jim made no reply. He knew how important the horses and mules were to the fur trappers. The loss of only one horse or mule was serious, but the loss of even as few as ten or twelve was a disaster. In the wilderness, the fur trappers depended almost entirely upon their pack animals for transportation. Many trapping leaders placed the safety of their animals above the lives of their men. Ashley and Henry, however, did not value their animals more than the lives of their men, but they did demand that the men be ever watchful and alert. Who else is on Bastion's watch? asked the guard. Bill Sublett and Wolf Andrews. The man laughed. So, Wolf had to take his turn. Where'd Bastion stationing? On the north side, facing the plains. Well, don't let an engine get your hair tonight, the man said, starting back to the nearby camp. Gun in hand, Jim stood quietly in the moonlight for a few minutes. He listened intently to become used to the sounds of the night. His eyes studied every dark shadow around him. The stillness was broken by the soft neighing of the hobbled horses as they moved about, or as they stamped their feet. Now and then an owl hooted, and far to the right a wolf howled, and was answered by another wolf far to the left. Quickly and without making a sound, Jim walked along his side of the camp. He peered into the darkness which covered the open plains, and wondered what adventures were waiting there for him. The sound of footsteps made him halt. That's you, Bridger, came Wolf's voice in the darkness. Yep. Now you don't need to come around here. I'll take care of this side of the camp, and I don't need no help from you. My line of guard duty comes to this point. Do as I tell you, ordered Wolf Andrews. Bastion gave me my orders, replied Jim. Jim did not meet Wolf as he made his next three rounds. I wonder where he is, Jim asked himself. Quietly, he started down Wolf's side of the camp. He'd gone only a short distance when suddenly he stopped. Ahead were two men. They were talking in low but excited voices. No, not tonight. Go, said one of the men. It was Wolf's voice. The other man said something which Jim could not hear. No, no, go, said Wolf again. Andrews, called Jim. You in trouble? There was no answer. Jim ran forward. Stay where you are, snapped Wolf as he hurried toward Jim. The other man turned and fled. His footsteps made only the faintest of sounds. Who was that? asked Jim. None of your business. Was it one of the men from our camp? Wolf hesitated for a second. Yeah, he answered. That's who it was. One of the men from camp. Now get back to your station. Jim returned to his side of the camp. He kept thinking of the soft footsteps of the running man. That wasn't a white man, he said to himself. Only an Indian could run that quietly. Jim reported what had happened to Bastion. I tell you, I'm sure it was an Indian, said Jim. Thanks, Jim. I'll look into this. When Bastion questioned Andrews, the Indian fighter sneered, That Bridger kid's trying to make trouble for me. I was talking to a man from camp. I'll take you to him. At two o'clock, Bastion and his men were relieved by four other guards, and they returned to camp. 
They followed Wolf as he led them to a man sleeping on the ground a little apart from the other trappers. Tell Bastion that you came out and talked to him while I was on guard duty, said Wolf, kicking the man with the toe of his moccasin. What? What? The man sat up, grabbing his eyes. Oh, yeah, I did, he added quickly. Bastion turned to Jim. Well, I guess I was wrong, said Jim. But as Jim walked away, he said to Bill Sublette, I still think he was talking to an engine. They seem to be telling the truth, said Bill. Why were you, I'd forget it. But Jim couldn't forget. At the first break of day, he hurried to the spot where Wolf and the man had been talking. He looked for their footprints, but they were not easy to find in the early light. He dropped to his knees and crawled along the ground. Suddenly, he reached for something in the grass. Later that morning, when Wolf Andrews awakened, Jim was waiting for him. Your friend left something last night, said Jim. You might want to give it back to him. While you, Andrews, sprang to his feet. Jim was holding in his hand an eagle feather, a feather worn by an Indian brave. Wolf Andrews' fist caught Jim under the chin and sent him reeling to the ground. Jim was stunned by the blow. In the mist before his eyes, the Indian fighter appeared like a giant, cruel and evil. Everything in camp whirled about him, and floating slowly earthward, the eagle feather spun round and round. Wolf saw the feather, too. He grabbed at it, but missed, and the feather fell to the ground. He leaned over, picked it up, and stuck it into the front of his buckskin shirt. Then, with a savage growl, he plunged toward Jim. It had taken Wolf only a few seconds to pick up the feather, but that was all the time Jim needed. He was on his feet and ready. He blocked Wolf's blow and swung with all his might. Wolf! Jim! The trapper shouted. Stop it! They paid no attention, nor did they stop fighting until they were separated. Even then, Jim, held by Bill Sublette and Bastion, struggled to free himself as the two trappers led Wolf away. Bridger, General Ashley said, having just joined the men in the excitement, if you can't get along with Wolf Andrews, then stay away from him. I need to tell you what happened, said Jim. I don't listen to the quarrels of my men. But General, I must tell you. I don't listen to the quarrels of my men, Ashley repeated. He turned and hurried toward the river. Jim watched the general for a minute. Then he walked slowly to the campfire where Tom and a group of men were cooking breakfast. Come on, Jim, called Tom. You're leaving camp with me in ten minutes. Have your gun and plenty of ammunition. A gun and plenty of ammunition? Yes, Henry's put me in charge of a new hunting party, exclaimed Tom. I'm taking you and Bill Sublette with me. I'll meet you here. Jim whistled. Thanks, Tom. Thanks a lot. A short time later, the three hunters mounted their horses and left camp. They rode northward across the plains. They'd gone only a mile when Tom slowed his horse to a trot. He pointed to a spot ahead where the tall grass was trampled down. It was clear that horses had been hobbled here, that Indians had camped nearby. Bill, ride back to Major Henry, ordered Tom. Tell him to warn the men we found a deserted engine camp. Tell him to send the scouts on here with you. They can follow the Indians' trail. Bill turned his horse about and raced away. Let's look around while we wait for Bill, said Tom. This camp may have been used by peaceful braves, but, he added, we can't be too careful. I think the braves are trailing our party. Maybe they're waiting to steal our horses. What makes you think so? Jim told Tom about the midnight watch and about his fight with Wolf. Now I'm more suspicious of Wolf than ever, said Jim. 
I don't like it, Tom shook his head. Jim, you and I are going to have to watch him. If he's up to something, we'll need to find out what it is. A short time later, Bill returned with the scouts. As Tom pointed out the Indian trail, he said, the signs, I'd say there are about 20 braves in the party. Probably a small hunting party, said a scout. You mean a hunting party of 20 horse thieves, spoke up another. That's what we want to find out, said the leader. Come on, boys, let's ride. The scouts raced away. The hunters turned their horses northward. Early in the afternoon, they sighted a herd of more than a thousand buffalo. Tom explained that they must approach the herd against the wind, for the buffalo had a keen sense of smell. If they rode in with the wind, the buffalo would smell them and stampede. He told them how to shoot the great shaggy beasts. The bullet, he said, must be aimed directly into the heart region. Now the way to do it is to ride close to the animal and aim carefully just behind the left shoulder. Take your time and don't get excited. Don't fire until your aim is true. Come on, boys, follow me. They raced their horses along the edge of the herd. Three rifles barked and three buffalo dropped in their tracks. The herd, frightened by the gunfire, broke into a stampede. The hunters watched the headlong flight of the herd until it disappeared. Then, laughing and joking, they began to butcher the buffalo they had killed. When they had finished, they started back to join their outfit on the Missouri River. When they reached the river, they met the scouts. The scouts had followed the trail from the deserted Indian camp and had finally located the braves. They claimed to be out on a hunt, said the scout leader. Have you reported to Major Henry? asked Tom. Yes, I have, answered the leader. He thinks the band is following our party. He's ordered us to keep even closer watch from now on. How'd you get along today, Tom? The scout asked. Fine, laughed Tom. I'll make hunters out of these greenhorns yet. Early each morning, the hunters left camp. Jim and Bill had much to learn about hunting on the plains. Fortunately for them, Tom was a good teacher as well as a good hunter. He taught them how to follow trails, read signs, and to use signals. It was a real job to kill enough game every day to feed a hundred hungry men. The teamwork of the hunters, however, made it easier. When one side had a herd of buffalo, he signaled the others. The three guided their horses to the rear of the herd. When they were ready, Tom gave the signal. They raced into position, and three rifles fired together. When they hunted elk or deer, they usually rode along the high wooded bluffs of the river. As soon as they spotted a herd, they slipped from their saddles and hobbled their horses. Then quietly they stalked forward until they were within rifle range. One afternoon, as the hunters were on their way back to the river, Jim sighted a band of twenty Indians in the distance. Although some of the braves were mounted on Indian ponies, most of them were riding good horses. The hunters paid little attention to the horses, as they knew the horse-stealing ability of the Indians. Even the snow-white horse of the chief did not seem important. When the hunters sighted the same band the following two days, however, they were disturbed. There was no mistaking the spirited snow-white horse of the chief. As soon as they reached camp, the hunters reported to Major Henry. I'm sure those Indians are up to something, said Tom. Why don't we fight them, asked Bill. Indians seldom attack an alert party, replied Henry. They depend almost entirely on surprise. Anyway, we're not out here to fight engines, Bill. We're here for just one purpose, to trap beaver. Couldn't the Indians be waiting for a war party to join them? Asked Jim. Yes, they could be, Jim, but that's a chance we have to take. This is more than a question of defeating 20 braves. We're in enemy territory and surrounded by thousands of hostile Indians. 
I've fought Indians many times, but I've never started a fight. We shall try to avoid trouble this time, but if we're attacked, we'll fight. Henry turned to Tom. Keep watching those Indians, he ordered. Report to me each night. Every day during the next week, the hunters spotted the band of Indians. As always, the chief on the snow-white horse was with them. When the hunters tried to talk with them, the Indians raced away. They'd like to make trouble for us all right, said Tom one day as the three hunters watched the last of the band disappear over the top of a hill. And I still think Wolf Andrews has something to do with it, said Jim. Don't you, Tom? Yes, I do, answered Tom, but the horses are guarded all the time. The Indians may get tired of trailing the outfit. Then, too, I think Wolf knows that we're watching him. You ought to know it by this time, said Jim. He's the first person I look for every night, and it isn't because I'm fond of him either. In April, when the trapping party left St. Louis, the young Greenhorns expected to fight one Indian battle after another. They were disappointed that the party had reached the territory of what is now the state of North Dakota without a fight. For a while, it seemed that the band of Indians led by the chief on the snow-white horse might cause trouble. But now even the excitement of being trailed was gone. For the past week, neither the scouts nor the hunters had seen the band of braves. Late one afternoon in August, the hunters were on their way back to join the party. As they rode along, Tom said, I wish we'd spotted that band of redskins today. I thought you'd be glad they weren't trailing us, said Bill. What are you worrying about now? Tom laughed a little. Now I'm worried because we don't see him. I'm worried too, said Jim. I don't know why, but I just feel that something's wrong. They rode on in silence. They let their horses follow the trail at a slow pace. The trail led them across the open country to a bluff overlooking the river. About a mile downstream, the approaching party could be seen. Along the west bank came the land party and the guards with the extra mules and horses. The keelboat was far out in the river. Well, there's our outfit, said Jim, and I'm sure glad to see it. Let's ride down and meet him, said Bill. That's a good idea. Tom headed his horse down a path which zigzagged down the bluff to the flat river bottom. Follow me. They made their way down the path and left the game they had shot during the day under a tall tree. Then, laughing and talking, they started downstream. Suddenly, Jim reined in his horse. Engines, he pointed. Out of the west, a band of screaming Indians galloped down the bluff just ahead of the land party. At a signal from the leading brave, the Indians reined in their horses and stopped. The brave rode forward to meet the trappers. Come on, boys, called Tom. If this means trouble, we want to be with our men. They touched their horses lightly and raced to join their fellow trappers. Isn't that Wolf Andrews talking to the brave? asked Tom as he slowed his horse down to a trot. Yes, it is, Jim answered. Let's find out what this is all about. As they neared the two men, they heard Wolf say, Tell your chief that I'm not afraid of his threats. Tell him to stop trailing us or we'll fight. We want no fight, replied the brave. I tell you that before. We want guns. You promised guns long time now. I said to stop trailing this outfit. You trick us, the brave waved his tomahawk in Wolf's face. Give us guns or we take horses. Andrews, called Tom. You need our help? No, snapped Wolf. He whirled his horse around. Get over there at the men. I can settle this. 
Let Major Henry settle it, suggested Tom. He's in command. He's on the boat, so I'm in command right now. I'll handle this my own way. You know this Indian? I never saw him in my life. You lie, you lie, screamed the brave. I talked to you before. I never saw you in my life, Wolf shouted. Now take your braves and get out of here. Without another word, the brave headed back to the waiting Indians. Wolf kicked his horse and rode toward the land party. The hunters followed him. The Indians shouted a war whoop. At the signal, a war party of almost 200 braves swept down the bluff. The chief, in full war dress, was in the lead. He was mounted on the handsome snow-white horse. The attack was on. Arrows whizzed through the air. Get ready, men, called Wolf. He gave the order. Fire! The guns of the trappers blazed. The greenhorns were stunned by the swiftness of the attack. They were untrained and reckless. They had yet to learn the strictest law of the mountain men, to fight together. But as they recovered from their shock, they fought bravely to defend themselves and the prize horses and mules. The Indians retreated. While they were preparing for another attack, Wolf ordered the old-timers to take over the front line of defense. Jim, Bill, and a few other plucky greenhorns were with them. Jim forgot his suspicion and distrust of Wolf. Now, in spite of himself, he admired the cool courage of the Indian fighter. Then the Indians attacked again. The steady fire from the front line threw them back, but they returned. This time they circled and surrounded the trappers. Here's my chance to get that chief, shouted Wolf. He fired. The chief pitched forward and fell to the ground dead. The white horse reared into the air, and a wild shot hit him. The horse stumbled and fell beside his master and lay still. When the braves saw, braves, <laughs> when the braves saw their chief fall, they attacked with renewed fury. Slowly, they gained ground. The last attack was over in less than 15 minutes. The Indians were gone, and with them, every horse and mule in the outfit. Five trappers had been killed, and twenty had been wounded. Well, Jim, said Tom, now we'll never be able to prove that Wolf was mixed up with that band of Injuns. The brave he was talking to and the chief were both killed. Yes, replied Jim, and so was the trapper Wolf claimed was with him that night on guard duty. They were interrupted as Wolf joined them. Ashley and Henry are coming ashore, he said. They'll question us about the attack. What are you going to tell them? The truth, Jim and Tom answered quickly. Go ahead. It's your word against mine. As the Indian fighter walked away, Tom said, He's right, Jim. They won't believe our story. Why not? Because his clever lies will make the truth sound ridiculous. Well, then I guess he wins this time. Yeah, he wins this time agreed Tom. That night, quiet groups of discouraged men sat around the campfires. None of them spoke. They just sat there, staring into the dancing flames. Men, came the voice of Major Henry. General Ashley and I want to talk to you. When the men gathered around the two leaders, Ashley said, I do not need to tell you that our defeat is serious. You know it. We're not turning back. We're going on. The men cheered. Major Henry raised his hand for silence. We can't get to Three Forks this fall, he said, but we'll push on to the Yellowstone River 200 miles from here. We'll fort up there for the winter. General Ashley and some men will return to St. Louis to equip another trapping party. They'll meet us next fall on the Yellowstone. This coming spring, the rest of us will head for Three Forks, the land of the beaver. He paused. 
and the land of the Blackfeet Indians. The Blackfeet are the fiercest tribe of Indians I've ever met. Powerful enemies, they're determined to keep us out of their country. Now, you greenhorns have just been through your first Indian attack. Those of you who think it was a real Indian fight should return to St. Louis with General Ashley. While those horse-thieving Indians are like squaws compared to the bloody Blackfeet, I want only the men who can take plenty of action to remain with me. If you want to fall out now, raise your hands. Not a man moved. Then it's settled, smiled the Major. I can't promise that you'll all become good trappers, up to beaver, but I can promise that you will have a chance to prove your worth as mountain men. And that about does it for today's podcast, little buddies. Wish you could have been here with me on this beautiful, warm, sunny spring day on Mr. Titus's farm. If you're not a member of the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club yet, I hope that you'll join soon, because there's a lot more great books for you and me to read together. Till next week, put God first in your life, be a patriotic American, and honor your father and mother. So long. Parents, if your kids love today's visit with Uncle Rick, know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from the Bible and history, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the Uncle Rick Book Club. Uncle Rick products are such a delight to our family. Our kiddos listen nightly to the Bible stories and fall asleep listening to God's word. These Bible audios are such a super reinforcement to what we as parents already teach our children. They provide our kids with a kind, gentle voice, pointing them to obey God and his word. Thank you. That was from Shelley. You can access the Uncle Rick Book Club at UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.